And today we're, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're looking at prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're looking at the full armor of God that we've been going through and looking at each piece individually. And the reality is that it is not the same as a physical armor where you only have a piece and every piece is totally individualistic. In this instance, every piece is, in, is, is, communi- is um, informed by every other piece. In other words, your prayer is, is informed by their sort of the spirit, which is the word of God. Your faith is informed by the word of God and by prayer. And so every piece works together. So I wanted to read Acts, um, Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 6, verse 18. And that's the verse we're looking at specifically today. And to, it, it says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And the next verse he says, and for me. So he has all the saints, but then he singles himself out and says, and for me specifically, I want you to pray for me also that I may, be, may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. But what I noticed in reading this verse was he says, praying always with all prayer for all the saints. And so that to me is a, um, is a real challenge. And, and so the question I'm starting this morning with is, how do you pray? And how has God responded? So both how do you pray? How have you prayed in the past? Um, we had uh, guests over on Friday night, I guess it was, and we got t- to talking about prayer and just the different ways we've prayed with churches in the past and how different uh, groups and ministries and churches will get together and pray. And it's an interesting thought to have because, you know, I personally started out my life where prayer was a memorized thing or something you read from a book, and that was it. And it was in a language I didn't understand. And so you only prayed in German, and you only prayed, and you usually either had it memorized or you were reading it from a book. And so if you would have taken that segment of my life and said, pray always for all people, for all the saints, um, I would have been like, this is very impractical. Like, how do I do this? I cannot, am I supposed to carry the prayer book around with me and, every, and be muttering everywhere I go uh, some German prayer? Like, how is this supposed to work? A little bit later in my life, we were part of prayer nights where we would come together and we would, we would just start praying and it would be open. There was, no, there was no order to it. And, you know, in an hour and a half of praying, you might have these men, loggers and bearded men and such, prostrating themselves out on the floor, or crying out to God and asking for all kinds of different things would be prayed for. You might have a bunch of people praying for one person or they, each one praying individually. We had, so we had a different kind of prayer. And so the intensity of those prayer meetings, if you were to say to me at that point, say, well, you're supposed to pray always for all the saints. I mean, am I supposed to just all the time be finding a place to prostrate myself and to pray for things in the, on that level of intensity? And so, you know, it's an interesting thing because even if you look back over your own life, how you've understood prayer, how you've seen prayer, what does it mean? How does prayer look? Because then I've been in, in prayer meetings before where we walk in and someone says, let's pray for so-and-so, and everyone prays at the same time, out loud. 
and some very loudly and some very quietly and some are singing and some are pacing and some are lying on the floor and some are sitting on the chairs and it's just everyone's praying at the same time. And so if I think of that, I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be kind of cool if you just kind of walked outside and everywhere you went, you'd see people and they were praying and some of them would be singing and some of them would be talking and, and you know, just, there'd just be prayer happening everywhere you went. That would be kind of different. Like that's quite out of the everyday. Uh, and so, so there's different pictures of how prayer works might come from our personal experience because I've also been in prayer meetings where we would spend 45 minutes sometimes 55 minutes, going down a long list of prayer. And then one person would say, Lord, you know everything that's in the, in the prayer requests, so please bless them all. And then we'd go home and call it a prayer meeting. And we hadn't actually all prayed. We had one person had prayed saying, Lord, you know. And we could have said that at the beginning and saved a lot of trouble instead of having to talk through all the prayer requests. Say, Lord, you know, let's go, you know. Um, but then I've been in other meetings where you, we took careful turns and every person had five or six minutes and you went around the room and it took, you know, if you had 10 or 12 people, it could easily take an hour or longer to finish the prayer circle. And so you had your moment in the spotlight where you got to pray and then the rest of the time you're kind of sleeping, you know? And so, so you had the, the so, you, so you have these various ways that we pray together. And so when he says here to praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Um, you know, it's one thing, if I just take one kind of prayer and say praying always with just this kind of prayer, I, I, I am kerflummoxed. I can't pray always in this, in, in one particular way. But he says, pray always with all prayer. So that's an interesting question. How many kinds of prayer are there? And no, I'm not going to give you a number and say this is this many kinds of prayer. I'm just going to put that out there, there are different ways that we pray. And so some of the ways that we pray, well, I want to look over in Acts 2.42. <clears throat> in Acts 2.42, we have this verse where right after the first big coming to faith of the Jews and those there at Pentecost, and there's a huge outpouring, and suddenly there's a lot of new believers all in town, and, and it's, it's a new thing. It's the excitement of something new happening. But here are the four things that they devoted themselves to. Excuse me. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so when I look at those four things and then I look at our Christian experience, and again, I can go look back over my Christian experience at different times and I say, there have been different times when different pieces of this have been elevated above the other four. And so I'm not saying this is the list of the only thing that the church should do together, but this is a really good um, picture of what is the natural outflow of people who are understanding that their Savior has come and has rescued them from a life of sin, has rescued them from the curse of the law. This is the outflow. This is what they're doing together. So they have the apostles' doctrine. They have fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so that fellowship, for instance, fellowship at different times in our life also will feel a little bit different. You will have times where we all come together here and everyone is sharing, you know, I was gonna say I, I planted my garden this week, but that's not the right, it's snowing outside, so I need to use something different. But so, you know, I was shoveling my sidewalk this week or something, and, you're, so you're, and you just talk about the things that are happening. 
And it's a very basic level of fellowship. You're just chatting about life. Uh, maybe you're talking about your car or your, your, your vehicle, what, what's going on, and you're just talking. And so there, and there, there's nothing wrong with that sort of fellowship. Then you have other times where you have fellowship where there is someone who is sick, and now you see them again, and you say, well, how are you doing? What happened? And they tell you the whole story with the gallbladder and everything else, and you're like, oh. And, and so, so there's, there's different types of, of interaction that we have. And then there's the times where, where someone comes and says, would you pray with me because I've been talking with so-and-so and I think they're going to give their life to Christ and I've been talking with them. And, and so now what happens is we start praying for you, we start praying for that person, and the next time we see you, we say, how is that going? And so there are seasons that I have been in where almost all the relationships that I had in a, in a fellowship like this were all busy reaching out to someone who then were on the edge of breakthrough and we're praying. And so one week we'd be like, wow, you have the breakthrough. And the next week, and, and so you'd have all these ministry reports coming back in and there was a deep sense of fellowship. And so you have that. And then I think of the groups like, uh, you know, an AA meeting or something where you have people, and, and there's a lot of AA meetings where people come in to basically sit down and say, yep, I must up again, that's why I'm here. But there are some where they come in and say, guys, I've been dry for 12 weeks, and it keeps going until they get to five years and eight years, and there's an excitement in their midst, and they've somehow created a new level of fellowship that they have. And so when we think of fellowship, we cannot just think of eating together and talking together, but we think of what does it mean for us to be together experiencing God and are we being liberated? Because if I am being liberated, like, you know, when we talk about different types of prayer, well, there's several kinds of prayer. There's asking prayer where we ask the Lord for something and it's usually, uh, uh, that's pretty obvious to see because you're, you're in life, you're like, right in front of me, there's a need and you don't have to have anyone come and explain to you that there's a need. You can see the need, you can feel the need, and you're praying for it. And it can be in a relationship, it can be financially, it can be uh, a health-wise healing, but you see it. You're like right there, there's a big need, and you ask, and you're, just like, you're, you're praying, Lord, please help me here, or help provide, or something. And it's an asking situation. There's other, um, there's confession, there's the prayer of faith for healing. That, well, let's go back to the prayer of confession. When we, when we come to him and we say, Lord, forgive me for this, um, we have different, in, in Acts, we, we see them coming and praying for boldness after they were told not to preach the gospel anymore. Actually, right after this verse, uh, on down the chapter, we see them coming together and praying for boldness. There's prayer laying on of hands for service like they did with the deacons. There's praying in the spirit that's talked about in Romans 8. There's a prayer for wisdom that we see in James 1. There's the prayer that Jesus taught us in, in Matthew 6 where he says, pray like this. And so we have these different ways of praying. We have in Matthew 7, him, Jesus saying, ask and seek and knock. Then in Matthew 26, we see Jesus himself praying and he's basically praying, Lord, thy will be done, not mine. And it's a prayer of agony. It's a prayer of submission and of submitting and surrender. And so there's different ways that we will interact with God in our life and we will be always be having a mixture of saying, Lord, I need this. Lord, it's yours. Lord, I'm submitted to you. Your will be done, not mine. Father, please help so-and-so. Lord, give me wisdom. We, we're constantly gonna have this mixture of prayer. So I, in thinking about this today, 
and wanting to talk about prayer as part of the armor of God, I was looking back over my own week, and so I have in my own experience, here are some of the ways that I pray. I pray for people specifically when I know I'm going to go meet with someone and talk with someone. I just ask, Lord, let it be a time of blessing so that we can come together and actually communicate. And so and, and in that instance, I will pray um, from James and from Peter. I will pray and, and, and resist the devil so he has to flee from that conversation because I don't want to go there and waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. And so when we're meeting together, I'm praying, Lord, let this be a blessed time. And, then, and I resist and say, Lord, in, in the name of Jesus, I resist the enemy that he had to flee from this conversation. They would not have anything to do in this one. So that's one of the ways I pray on a weekly basis. It's just whenever I know I'm going to talk with someone else, because if you've ever done it, you know, you, you go to talk with someone and you kind of have an idea in your mind of what you think might happen in the conversation. And then you go and it instead it doesn't happen at all. Something completely different happens or you feel like you just wasted the whole time or that you somehow insulted each other or something bad happens and you're like, why? Why did that happen? And so I have just taken to saying, well, if I'm going to meet, there's opportunity for the enemy to sabotage a relationship. So if there's opportunity, well, that means there's opportunity for me to stand in the spirit, put on the armor of God and say, no, I don't want anything from the enemy in this conversation. I want to be able to communicate. And it's, it's just an, it's a good prayer. So that's one of the ways I pray, uh, probably more often than some of the other ways, simply because I'm reminded when I'm getting ready to meet with someone, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to pray. And if Stacy and I together are meeting, she reminds me or I remind her. We, and so it helps. So we just know, you know, if we're going to talk with someone, let's pray first. And so we pray. And, and so the result has been that I am able to go into most of my meetings very relaxed, trusting that I'm hearing from the Lord, that he's giving us wisdom, that the enemy is at bay, that the, you know, all the little chihuahua demons nipping at our heels can't get in. They're outside, right? And we are free to just talk and hear and absorb what's going, being said, and we're praying for good response back and forth. So that's one of the ways I pray. Another way I pray is, you know, if I'm looking at uh, a work project and I'm, I'm looking at the time frame and I'm looking at it and I'm just like, Lord, right now, the thing I would like to do the most is not this. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I want to do anything besides this. And, and you know, it's, it, it gets crazy. Like, I have genealogy books on my shelf. I could read those rather than work. I have, there's, there's all kinds of things that I could do. And so there are times when I pray very specifically and say, Lord, not only do I need wisdom, but I need skill for my hands. I need understanding and revelation, and I just need endurance to be able to do this thing. And so would you grant me that so I could work on this? And so that's one way that I pray. I sometimes pray for, um, for financial wisdom and blessing and provision in different ways. Um, I have on occasion prayed that God would make a car go farther on empty than I think it will. Um, so there's, there, there's different ways that we pray, um, you know, and so I just wanted to talk about those a little bit and, and, and think about them because when we go to ask and we're asking in prayer, we're asking, uh, much of our prayers are asking. So when you read the scriptures where it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be open to you, most of the things you're, that you're praying about are asking. And if you think about it, because you're either asking for yourself, you know, for healing, for blessing, for protection, for something. You're asking for someone else for the same kind of things. You're asking for, um, to know him, to know the Lord better. You're like, Lord, reveal yourself. Show me, show me what you're doing. 
And then we have these whole questions that, we, that apply to so much of our life where, where the question is something like a how, what, when, me? And, and we ask these questions of the Lord quite a bit. And so, for instance, when you're dealing with someone else, you are unable to control their responses. You cannot make someone else respond to God. And so one of the ways that we pray is we pray diligently for someone else that God would be able to intervene on, into their hearts and that they would be able to respond to God. And so, for instance, even when I come to preach and when, I come to, when I'm chatting, one of the things I pray for is that when people hear my words, that instead of reacting to me, they would be able to respond to God. Because according to the scripture, Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And so I'm asking the Lord that when I speak, that people, instead of just hearing me, because I'm telling you there's a lot of ways my flesh can get involved here. And there's a lot of ways, there's plenty of things about me that you can either write me off or react to me in a negative way and say, I don't want to hear that. But I'm praying, Lord, let people hear the words that are coming through me and let them respond to you. And so that's a way that I pray. Um, and so, so another way, well, I just want to look at something, a, a couple other scriptures here, and I don't have them all listed up there. So one of the questions that I, when I think about my own prayer, um, is, a, is a question of, is my prayer sweet? Is my prayer time desperate? Is it kind of angry at God? What sort of prayer time do I have? When I'm praying, and, and, and in reality, you'll probably have a mixture of different emotions and things that happen when you're praying. But as an armor of God, as a part of the armor of God, there needs to be a certain consistency in our prayer life that we can look at the overall of it because if it says praying always in all prayer for all saints, well, there needs to be something in the always category. So how are we always praying? And if you've ever been with someone, and I think, you know, we probably all know someone in one way or another who um, does something like this. When I spent time with Gil Bates in Knoxville, Tennessee 20 years ago, we would get in the car and he would tell me where we're going, what we're doing, and then he would say, and now we're gonna pray. And we would just, he would just start praying. And he would pray sometimes for 20 minutes or 30 minutes while we're driving. And he would just, and he would be like, Lord, you know how tired I am this morning. And so I just want to bring myself to you and just submit to you and ask, Lord, that you would give me strength today. And he would like go and he'd just pray and pray for whatever came to mind. And if you were riding with him, you would say, he's always praying. Like, because he was. Now, there were times when he would say amen and we would chat for a while. Um, but there was amazing how much time he spent praying. And he had done that. He had all these kids. 12 at the time, 19 now. And so he was, he was always needing time, right? And so he didn't always have time. So his driving time had become his prayer time. And, and, and I get it. Now what's, what's difficult, and this is what he had done successfully, what I find difficult to do sometimes is now when I have someone else with me, whether it's one of my own children or my wife or anyone else, where I'm like, well, if I was alone right now, I might be crying out to God. I might be yelling and screaming in prayer, right? But because you're with me in the car. So I've sometimes thought about this. Like, what, what will someone say if they know me and they see me driving and there's like no one in the car and it looks like I'm very animated having, 
I'm praying, okay? <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully not just singing along to some song. But, <laughs> so, so the, but, the, but that's the challenge that we have is how do we always pray? Well, different people have implemented different things into their life to help them always pray, to trigger them to pray. And so that's, that's I think, is an important thing to have in our life is to have a constant awareness. Now, the other thing about always praying, um, when I think of how is our prayer life, you know, when we moved up here and living, we started Living Water Fellowship and we started going and visiting families, I remember we had a conversation one time because we'd go to someone's house and we'd sit and chat for a while and then it'd be time to leave and I would feel like we should pray before we go. And then I would have this thing like, well, I wonder, I mean, I'm not the host, they're the host, I wonder if they want to pray. And so then I, I, I would kind of not think about it. I wouldn't actually do it, maybe. Sometimes I did, depending on what was going on. But I wouldn't always just pray with people. And I, I thought, well, it'll be awkward. Like, how will... And, and so in the long run, eventually I came to a spot where I was like, well, okay, I'm a pastor. It shouldn't be awkward for a pastor to pray. Well, then I got farther and I got to see this other thing where I'm a Christian. We are believers. It's not awkward for us to pray. Most of us have this little sense in the back of our heads that we ought to pray a little bit more than we do. And so when someone else says, yes, let's pray, we're like, yeah, absolutely, let's pray. Now, it's funny the things that will happen when you say, let's pray, in a, you know, in, if you're in someone's house and suddenly the moment you say, let's pray, the dogs get out and bark everywhere. Or it's amazing what all can happen in that moment. And it can be really hard to actually pray and, and do that. And yet it's a huge blessing. And so it's one of the things that I think is good for us to in, in always praying for all the saints to just make it a, an easy custom to when we're together and we're about to go do things to say, hey, why don't we pray before we go? And if you just make it, a, if it becomes a part of our life, it is not awkward. It's a lot easier. Now, I have, you know, Stacy and I, we've prayed together from the beginning that we were married. And in the first year of our marriage, there were times when we prayed when we really wanted to be fighting. And so <coughs> one of us would say, well, we should pray about this issue instead of just, we, we're, not sol we're not getting anywhere. So why don't we go ahead and pray? Well, that is always a little bit of a difficult part because if you're the one that is like, but I have my case to state and I really don't feel like praying right now. And yet, I should pray. And so, you know, you pray together. That's a good thing. Now, if you've never done it and you're, say you're married and you've been married for 20 years and you've never prayed together, that could be really, really awkward. And it would probably not work the first time if you were in a fight, if one of you said, why don't we pray? And the other one would be like, whatever. And it would be over, you know? So, so there's, some, there's a need to cultivate the expectation of prayer together. Because this is one of the things in our armor most of the pieces in our armor have something to do with you and the way you carry it and how you wear it. Prayer is, is one of the really neat ones where we get to do it together. And so when I am praying with you and you're praying with me, it's like we're shining each other's armor and we're, we're standing together and we're strengthening each other for the battle. In Revelation, I was looking, just looking through the scripture for different things. Now, there's so much to be said about prayer and I... I, I really was a little bit stumped in thinking, well, how do, we're talking about the armor of God. How do we, il, uh, how do we connect this to, to the rest of the armor? How do we connect it to our daily life? How do we encourage each other? Because, you know, all of us can say something like, well, we ought to pray more. And then we just walk out the door without praying. That happens, you know. And so, 
but how do we actually just pray more and pray, praying always for all the saints with all prayer? And I don't have a good answer other than the fact to say that just saying we ought to pray more sometimes brings more guilt into our life than it brings help. So I wanted to take a moment to look at prayer and to consider prayer and to think about prayer in a hopefully a liberating sense. In Revelations 5 and then in chapter 8 it talks about prayer and I just want to look at uh, Revelation 5, 8 first and then we'll, we'll go to the next section in a minute here. But in Revelation chapter 5 in verse 8 they had just given the scroll to the Lamb, which is Jesus. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And so back up there in verse 8 where it says, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. A moment ago I asked, what does your prayer feel like when you think of it? Is it sweet? What does your prayer look like? What sort of incense is your prayer in the bowl in heaven as it's being poured out there? Well, we'll talk about the pouring out in a minute. And, and I ask that because sometimes our prayers aren't truly prayers. They're just yelling at a sky that we think is closed. And we're pretty sure no one's listening. And, and we, we haven't taken the time to be convinced that on the other side of whatever veil that we see, there is an actual living being who cares for us, who's listening, who wants to respond. And so this is the question um, when I asked earlier at the very beginning, how have you prayed and how has God answered? How has he responded? It's very important for us in our faith that we remember the times when we cried out and how God responded. That is one of the ways that we can encourage ourselves and continue steadfastly in prayer. And sometimes I can't remember for my own, and so I like having books available where I can read accounts of other people who have prayed for various reasons and how God has responded to them. And actually I brought a, a story along this morning, if I can find it. Um, of someone who had reason to pray and how, and, and just the, the challenge of, of doing something together. Here we go. This is, this is a dispatches from the front from Dr. Tim Cassie, the director there. And he is, he is writing um, in January of this year. He says, this time of year often catches me somewhere between coming and going. Thankfully today, that means being home. It's a cold, bright morning here. The birds fuss and flutter about the feeders. Perhaps they are telling me to come out and break the ice in their bird bath. Despite the brilliant sun, their water remains a little round rink for the wrens and cardinals to skate on. I'll deal with that ice later, after coffee. Murphy, the cat, seems to be in no hurry to move either as he curls up in a puddle of sunlight, a languid, liquid cat. So I wanted to read this first. We have, Dr. We have Tim Cassie in his house 
the bird feeders are frozen, the cat's in the sunshine, and he's drinking coffee. And so if this was everything that he ever did, then his prayer life would probably be pretty small. He might have a decorative version of Psalm 91 or the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd or something that he might look at occasionally and say, but this is not all that he does. Tim Cassie travels around the world, connecting with the church around the world. He has, he has taken, he has worked getting scripture behind the Iron Curtain. He was there, he observed and watched it fall. He was there for so much of history with the church. And he has this place where he can come home with his languid, liquid cat, or however he described it there. And he can be there and be at home, but he also has something that he is doing. There's a mission involved in his life. And so what I, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit more because he's actually talking about someone else who shared the mission with him. But there is, a, there is a question in prayer where we are saying to the Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then in that answer, sometimes we're afraid to actually listen and press in because we're afraid that when we get the answer, there will be no longer sitting in my dining room watching the sun puddle on the floor and the birds outside and, and drinking my coffee, right? And so we don't even want to ask the question, what is it, Lord? We're afraid for the answer. And yet, here is someone, and this is what I want to point out to all of us, is here is someone who has gone to the ends of the earth for the kingdom, and yet he's sitting there in that, that place, and he's enjoying it tremendously. However, there are other times, and so here's, uh, he continues on and tells the story of one, and, and I'm skipping a piece of the article and just going straight to where he tells the story of, of Natasha Vins, who worked with him, a ministry partner for a decade or so. So he says, for me, this season between coming and going has also meant a profound and glorious parting with an old friend. Just before Christmas, Natasha Vins, my ministry partner for a decade, went home to be with her savior. On this side, Natasha lost a long battle with cancer, but on the other side, she gained the unfading crown of glory from the nail-wounded hands of Jesus himself. Natasha grew up in the Soviet Union and came from a long line of gospel warriors who loved not their lives unto the death. And she was numbered among them. Even when her father, George Evans, was imprisoned for his gospel work, Natasha left home to serve underground with the secret Bible printing teams. She risked her life and freedom to give the Bibles and hymnals to the persecuted and growing church across the Soviet empire. In 1979, Natasha and her family were suddenly and miraculously exiled to the United States. I wrote about her dad's deliverance from the Soviet gulags in A Company of Heroes. It was a stunning, sovereign surprise by which God allowed George Evans and by extension Natasha, who often interpreted for him, to become a voice of the persecuted church behind the Iron Curtain. I remember a story Natasha loved to tell from their early days in America. She wrote about it in her autobiography, Children of the Storm. So here's her, the excerpt from Children of the Storm. One Sunday, we attended a Baptist church where over a thousand people gathered for worship. In the crowded parking lot, little Alex, her brother, suddenly exclaimed in Russian, look, look at all these people. Everyone is carrying a Bible. We all stopped and observed this powerful manifestation of freedom. Then, during the service, there was another moment that made a striking impression. 
At the beginning of his sermon, the pastor announced a passage of scripture and asked the congregation to turn to it. As he waited, hundreds of people started to leaf through the pages of their Bible, and the quiet sound of turning pages filled the auditorium. And for me, it seemed like the sweet music of freedom. So now we go back to Tim Kasi. In 1996, Natasha and I started serving together in the former Soviet Union, and I learned so much from her. Natasha was my patient, skillful, tireless interpreter as I preached, taught, and conversed to Russian-speaking audiences in countless cities and villages across Ukraine, Russia, and Central Asia. But my fondest memories of Natasha are from the long train rides we took together across the Russian vastness and the stories she shared. Natasha was an expert train traveler, which is its own kind of peregrination. I think Natasha and I both found common cause with the writer Paul Thoreau, who wrote, I have seldom heard a train go by and not wished I was on it. Natasha's experiences with train travel weren't sightseeing excursions. They were forged in danger and in joy. Danger of arrest, prison, and even torture and the joy that comes when Jesus is near. In her book, The Children of the Storm, there's a passage that captures her life on the rail and on the run for the sake of Christ and his people. So now we're back reading from Natasha's book. In those days, we secretly delivered Christian books in our suitcases, traveling by train to the remotest parts of the country. There were many delivery teams. Ours consisted of three, sometimes four people. We would pack our bags to the limit of our ability to carry them. Before leaving for the train station, we earnestly prayed for God's protection so that all the literature could be safely delivered. At times, when the train was approaching a station where we needed to get off, other passengers would volunteer to help carry our luggage to the exit. We tried to avoid this since the weight of our suitcases could raise suspicions. Once, when it was impossible to refuse the assistance of a helpful passenger, the man exclaimed after lifting one of the bags, Girls, have you lost your minds? You're going to break your backs. What do you have in there? Bricks? At that moment, we could only silently ask God to restrain any suspicions this person might have and to help us get off the train safely. After getting off, we would walk down the tracks to the nearest bus stop, bypassing the train station building where KJB, KGB agents were on duty. Our heavy suitcases might attract their attention, and we could be in danger of a search. When we finally reached our destination, we would be completely exhausted by the heavy bags and several days of traveling. But what awaited us at the end of our journey would take away the fatigue and inspire us to continue this work. As we unloaded Bibles, New Testaments, and children's books from our suitcases, we would see the tears of joy in the eyes of the pastor and his wife and hear their prayer of thanksgiving. This was the greatest reward we could receive. The pastor would share with us how many, need, how many needs these books would fill, not only in his church, but also in the surrounding towns and villages where they would be distributed. Then we would be invited to the dinner table. As we shared a meal with the pastor's family, our host would tell us about the blessings and hardships that his church was experiencing. He would also ask us about the lives of believers in other cities we had visited while delivering Bibles. After dinner, we would finally have a chance to take a shower and do some personal laundry. That night, we would enjoy sleeping in real beds instead of on a bench on the train. The floor beneath us would not be vibrating and we did not hear the clicking sound of train wheels on the rails. In the morning, the road awaited us once again. Train stations, heavy suitcases, buses, train cars. This was our destiny month after month, year after year. Now back to Dr. Tim. This gospel rail rider, this smuggler of good news, was a quiet, even shy sister. But she was as brave as Caesar in things that mattered. 
I'll always remember with joy and gratitude the years of ministry we shared together. And in these days, somewhere between coming and going, with all the miles and question marks ahead, the promises of Psalm 121 read like a clear, sweet note of assurance from my Father's hand this morning. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So this is one example of someone who is on a mission for the Lord and is therefore having to pray for things like people not to pick up their suitcase. And I think of prayer and how we ourselves can become more involved in prayer so that we can truly say, I'm praying always with all prayer for all the saints. And, and one of the ways we do that is we start by submitting to the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you have for me? Because it is true that God might call you to the far reaches of the world, but he also has missions here in your own house, in your own house, in your own hometown here that are bigger than you. A mission that you yourself cannot accomplish in your own strength. And when you take on and you understand the heart of God that he wants to reach all people, that he loves all of these people and he wants to reach them, and when you take on his mission and his calling in your life and you're not just thinking about yourself, you won't run out of things to pray for. See, when I'm living a selfish life, I don't want to pray. There are times when I am somewhere um, and I suddenly have a sense that I need to pray for someone. And I sometimes know what's going on in their life, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get to find out later what was going on in their life. But there's many, many times when it, there's a, a silent, small urge coming from the Spirit of God, stirring in me, pray for, some, for this person. And if I'm in a selfish moment, in a selfish time, I can be like, I am too busy, or I am, you know, this is more important, or whatever, and I can blow it off and not pray for that person. But I believe this is part of what God wants us to do. He isn't just leaving us alone to pray. Because one of the things that has happened that I absolutely love is on the times when I respond and say, okay, yes, Lord, I want to pray for this person, and I start praying, there are times when I'm praying for that person or that whatever it is that God lays on my heart at that moment where he is then equipping me to pray, where I'm not having to put together words and paragraphs and, and try to belabor the point and figure out how to pray for these people, but suddenly the Spirit of God is praying through me. He put the idea in my mind. Now he is helping me to pray. He's assisting me. Those are the sweetest times. Those are times when I'm crying out. And, and you know, sometimes I will never know the outcome of what actually is happening or what actually will be the response, but I'm getting to work with the Holy Spirit in what he is doing and I'm getting to pray. So that's one way is for me to make sure that I'm always aware that it's not about me because I'm going to tell you if I'm just trying to pray for myself, for a house, for a car, for a job, for work, for all of these things and it never gets past that, I can get so weary of prayer. I get so weary and be like, you know, in, in the end, it kind of just, it's better for me to just get out there and do something instead of wasting my time sitting in here praying. Well, maybe. And this is what something, um, now I'm forgetting the guy who said it. He, it was someone like D.L. Moody um, who said something along the line of this, and it, and, and it wasn't D.L. Moody, it was someone else. So um, he said, in the beginning, I used to think that prayer was really, really important before I went to the work for, you know, the work of the kingdom. And then I, then I got to the point where I realized that prayer, uh, that the work was impossible without prayer. And then eventually got to the point where I realized that the prayer is the work. 
that the actual where God works and accomplishes things is in my time of prayer. And I think there was another quote, I believe this was Amy Carmichael, who said something about to the extent of if you would spend as much time talking to God about people, you'd be more effective talking to people about God. And so it's just a, it's a, it's a good reminder for us to step back and say, God actually cares about not only us, not only those around us, but he cares about everybody, and he actually wants to transform lives. And if we go back and, and you know, how we were talking about fellowship a moment ago, and we say, well, the, the, the fellowship that happens when we're together, we rejoice when someone says, I've had a medical victory. We rejoice when someone says, I've had a financial victory. We rejoice when these things come. But we also rejoice and we are encouraged and strengthened when we've been praying for each other and someone says, so-and-so that we've been praying for has actually turned their heart and life over to Jesus Christ. That's huge for the benefit of the body and for the fellowship and, how, and, and what happens with us. And so that's a, an important thing to keep in mind to say, Lord, what do you have? Because I don't think you have to look very far in your life before you find someone that you can obviously tell needs to submit to God. And so you can be praying for these people. And if you're just trying to go talk to them about trying to submit to God, chances are it won't happen. But if you're praying and seeking the Lord and potentially letting other people pray with you, then we don't know what God will do. And so this is what I wanted to bring us as we come to in Revelation and we're thinking about all prayer for all, all the time, for, uh, um, always praying with all prayer for all the saints. How do we respond and do we really think that God is doing something? So I wanted to look again at Revelation. We had read the one in Revelation 5 where it says that each of the 24 elders had the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. But over in, in Revelation 8, um, there is this moment where uh, Revelation 8, verse 1 says, when he, when he had opened the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So there's this quiet moment. And, says John, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he might, should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now, I want to say something right here. I am not looking at the context of Revelation to say, is this a one-time event? Is this an ongoing event? Is this something that happens in the future? I am telling you something because there is something in this passage that connects with something in another passage that I want to read, and I think it can help awaken our faith as to what is going on when we pray. And so for me personally, just so you know how I'm looking at this, I'm imagining that right now in glory and for the last 2,000 years, and because we're in time and that's in eternity, there's some kind of a time warp probably, but right now my prayers are in a bowl and they're being brought up there and I'm seeing the angels pouring them out, as it says here, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So he offers up the prayers of the saints. He offers up the incense. And it says in verse four, the smoke of the incense with the, with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So it's very strong imagery happening here. We see the smoke of the incense and of the prayers coming up before God, before the throne. Verse five, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. 
and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So what I want to take away from this is there's something happening in heaven, and whatever is going on here in heaven at this moment, these prayers of the saints are being injected into the middle of what's going on, and as they offer up those prayers, the censer is taken, fire is scooped off the altar, thrown to the earth, there's lightnings, there's thunders, and an earthquake. So keep that in mind, and now let's go and read to one of my very favorite passages about prayer. Psalm 18, and you will hear something of prayer, and you will hear something of the wrath of God, the fire of God being poured down on the earth. So listen as I read Psalm 18. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God, and he heard me. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. So if I take this moment that my cry came before him and I think here are the prayers of the saints and they're in a bowl and here comes the angel and he offers the prayers of the saints on the altar and the smoke of the prayers and of the incense rises up before God and I say my, my prayers have been heard by the king. They've come into his presence. And then, verse seven, then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he, God, was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and his thick and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. And I think of those coals of fire as coming from the heavenly altar. Verse 13, the Lord thundered it from heaven. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight." And I wanted to read to that verse because he says, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight, you and I know that when we look at our own lives, there are a lot of things that we wouldn't say are righteous. We wouldn't say this invokes the, the righteousness of God because we are so pure and blameless. However, because of Jesus Christ, when we pray the prayer of confession, 
and we ask forgiveness for our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We are blameless in the sight of God at that point. He has made us pure and clear and righteous before him. And then when we who are his own, covered by the blood of Jesus, when we cry out to him and we ask him and we call out to him the prayer that we pray here, when we're looking around us and we see the impossibilities, we see the things, and we might not be on the verge of death as David was with the enemies he had, but there are things happening around us that bring distress to our soul, that make us think that this is a hopeless situation, and we're crying out to God for this, whatever it is before us, whether it's for ourselves or for someone around us, for each other, we're crying out to the Father. And if we think in that moment, you know what, I'm just praying this prayer. I've been reading it from the same book for 20 years, maybe 500 years, and I don't know, think it does anything. We're going to read it in a sing-song voice like an Amish deacon. And we're not going to expect God to do a single thing with it. And we're just going to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and we've prayed. Now we've done my duty, and then we go on out and we try to make life work. But if we believe that our prayer is coming up before the Father and he is hearing our cry, it will change the way we pray. It will not be a sing-song voice as we're going along, unless we're singing a prayer to the Lord, that's one thing. But there will be a conviction in our hearts that God cares about us and he loves us. And so, the, the invit so I'm not saying that there are some of you in here that God hears and some of you that God does not hear. I'm saying, telling you that the invitation is open to each one of you. And it doesn't matter whether we are young or old, God is waiting to hear our prayer. He is waiting to interact with us. And it has been the case from the dawn of creation until now, since the very first time there in Genesis when men began to call on the name of the Lord. From that time until that last day, there will be the response from heaven to the prayers of the saints. And when we first come and we ask the Lord to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, and then we come boldly to the throne of grace because we've been made clean by Jesus, and we come here and then we say, Father, here's the situation, and we cry out to God. He responds. He hears our prayer. And if you can only grasp the fact that the heavens themselves are being bent down and he is coming riding to your rescue. He is coming in response to your prayer. This would be a different sense. You know, if you're out there and you're, and you're wearing the whole armor and you're thinking, man, I've got to be really good with the sword and with faith and you're doing all of this stuff and you're out there trying to fight this huge battle and it's hopeless. But it says praying always with all prayer. And so this means the prayer of thanksgiving for food, yes. It means the prayer of faith and healing for healing of the sick, yes. It means the prayer of confession, Lord, forgive me of my sins, yes, it means that. It means the prayer for wisdom, but it also means the desperate cry of the believer saying, Abba, Father, I need your help here. I cannot do this on my own. And when we cry out with that way, yes, we're standing there, we've got the whole armor on and we've got the sword out and we've got the shield out and we're doing our very best, but we're crying out and saying, we cannot do this on our own. And suddenly the Lord of heaven shows up with thunders and lightnings and coals of fire and he goes to battle for us and he pulls us out of the, the, the impossible places and puts our feet in places. He plants us on the solid rock that is himself and he delivers us in this way. And so if we can see prayer, not just as a nice thing to do um, when you're buying lunch somewhere so that people know that you're a believer, but as the very lifeline that you need, that you've got to have the response from God. You need 
heaven to be shaken. And it's awesome when you read through Acts. Actually, later in Acts 4, I think there's an instance where they're praying for boldness. And it says, after they prayed and cried out to God, the place was shaken. So there is a very real sense that in Acts 2.42, where it says they were devoted, they did these things, you know, you and I, we have, uh, we have been exposed to a lot of the apostles' doctrine. We understand a lot of this. We've, we've gotten a fellowship figured out pretty well. We've gotten uh, the breaking of bread communion. We're, we're, we're doing it on a monthly basis. We're continually reminding ourselves. We could potentially do that on a, a weekly basis or more often, and I don't think it would lose its power. But the one area, when I look at us as a fellowship, that I, that I, I think God has more for us is that the heavens themselves are waiting to be shaken by the cries and the prayers of the saints. And so there are times when you will notice this and the enemy will help you try to think like this. Something will happen. and You think, man, that is so hopeless. I wish there was something that could be done. And then you'll keep walking and you'll leave it alone and you won't pray about it. and You won't lift it up. And yet the very heavens are waiting to be shaken for that because God the Father is compassionate and he cares for every person that you and I will ever meet. And yes, it's important. You are not going to be able to pray for everyone's miracle and see it. But there are some that you're being called to pray for. And when you sense the touch of the Holy Spirit touching on you saying, you should pray for so-and-so, then do it. Pray with everything you've got. And then there's times when you're praying and then you let someone else know, say, could you help me pray for this situation? And it's possible that that person will say, sure, I'll pray, and they will pray a perfunctory prayer. That's good. It's also possible that in their praying that they will sense the power of the Holy Spirit working and they will pour themselves out. And so the unity and the cries of the saints coming onto the altar, being brought to the very throne room of heaven, that's what we're looking for. And so some of the things I'm praying for, I pray for myself. I pray about God's calling in my life. I pray about his provision for myself and for my family. I pray for relationships with others. I pray for you. I pray for those around me. I, I pray for the same things. I pray for your relationship with God. You know, one of the things that I find myself having to pray for is there are times in my life where the temptations continue and things come in my, I'm like, why am I still dealing with this after all these years? And it, it's as if I thought that at some point I would grow good enough that I would no longer be in the battle. We're in a battle. And so I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for you that the Lord would make, be able to strengthen us in battle. There's times when I'm asking, Lord, I've got this situation that keeps coming around and it's so annoying. Can we just physically remove this one from me so that I no longer have this problem, that I no longer have this relationship issue? I just don't want to fight this anymore. I want to victory once and for all. And there's areas in our life where God gives us victory once and for all. Um, there's humbling ourselves before the throne of God that can go a long way when it comes to our relationships. I pray for you guys. I pray for us as a fellowship. And one of the ways that I've been praying for us as a fellowship is when I look around us, you drive down the roads out here, you look around, and I see there are so many people in this area. There's a lot of people here who are quasi-church people. They've been in and out of church. They're not committed. They're not 100% sold out. They don't believe that if they cry out to God, heaven's going to move. And so 
there is nothing wrong for us to ask the Father to bring some of those families here and bring them to our midst, that when we are together, that we can together grow to him. So one of the things I'm praying for is that God would raise us up as a task force. And what I would like to hear is when on a Sunday morning when I come here and I want to hear dispatch from the front, I don't have to read a piece of paper, but I can look at you and say, what's God doing? And you say, well, and, and I want to hear everything from when I was on 16th Street this week to when I was in Tanzania this week. I want to hear all of them, right? I want to hear the whole story, and I want it to be where there is not enough time for us to tell the stories of what God is doing. I believe this is part of what God wants to do with a small group of believers. There is enough opportunity for God to work, and it's going to be through prayer. And so I believe that God is not just calling us to prayer in a sort of cold, distant way, but he's inviting us. He is asking us to step into this with him and to be willing to be vessels of his, to see him at work, to see his lightning shoot forth and do amazing things, to see the earth be shaken for his glory and for his kingdom. And he's inviting us in to do, for, to do it with him because he's not saying, go change the world. He's saying, I am here, I want to change the world. And there is something that we will not understand until we stand with him. But part of the mystery of the gospel is that the way that God interacts with the world has something to do with the way we interact with God and the way we interact with the world. He is using us and he wants to use us. And, and we don't look at God and say, wow, he's helpless without us because he's not. But for whatever reason, he wants to work through us and he's inviting us into this process with him. So let's pray and submit ourselves to him. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and I thank you for this fellowship of believers. I thank you for the work that you have done in us. Lord, I thank you for the answered prayer, for the miracles, for the changed lives that we have gotten to see together and individually in our families and in our fellowship. Father, I am asking you now, Lord, on behalf of your kingdom, on behalf of what you are doing in the earth, on behalf of what your calling was that we should go make disciples. Father, we are your children. We are your disciples. We want to make disciples. But Lord, we don't know how all the time. And so, Father, I pray you would bring people into our lives that we would be, that, and you would touch us and let us know this is the one that we'd be able to pour into people's lives. Father, I pray that individually you'd give us discipleship relationships and let us share your word and your glory with others. Father, I pray that as a fellowship, as a group for Living Water Fellowship, Lord, that you would raise us up to be a task force of prayer warriors for your kingdom, Lord, that we would be about the Father's business, that we'd be about your work. And Lord, that it wouldn't be a heavy thing, but it would be a joyous thing, that we would be able to come back and share with each other the beauty of what you're doing and that the calling of making disciples would be so, such a joy to us that we are obeying you and that we are walking with you and that we get to work alongside you. So Father, we ask you for this and we recognize that in our own wisdom and in our own strength, we run out pretty quick, but that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you want to work through us and pray through us. So Father, I ask that you would have mercy and you would be kind in this and bring us to you, Lord and use us, Lord, that we might cry out to you and that you would bend the heavens and come down and that the earth would be changed because of that. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.